The following story has been brought to you by storiestoinspire.org. Sometimes in life, Hashem sends us opportunities. And those opportunities, the moment they show themselves, a clock begins to tick. And that window is opened only for a certain amount of time. And if you're savvy enough and quick enough to identify that moment of opportunity, you could jump and grab it. And you can get things at that moment that maybe on a typical day of life was not offered. That's the beauty of an opportunity. I had such an opportunity a few weeks ago. And that opportunity gave birth to something that was much bigger than I expected it to uh, to reach. And I thank Hashem for that Barabim. And I'd like to share that experience with you. Only a few weeks ago, I was sitting in my 12th grade, and we were discussing about this year's graduation trip. Now, you can understand the boys so excited. Everybody was looking for a different idea, a different thrill. Some of the boys wanted to do what we've done the last few years, and that was to go out to Florida, to Miami, to Orlando. But other guys wanted something new. They said, Rabbi, we've been doing that for years. We want this year's trip to be something different, something special. So we don't want to go out to Florida. So I said, okay, so where do you want to go? And I knew already I was in trouble at that minute. Because <laughs> when you ask a 12th grade class of boys, where do you want to go? I mean, to them, the moon is still not too far. So they turned to me and they said, in all seriousness, they said, Rabbi, we want to go to the Grand Canyon. I said, wow. I said, wow, I give you guys a lot of credit. Not bad. I give you an A for uh, imagination and, uh, and a unique idea. And the truth is, while they said that, I already in my mind's eye saw myself going on that famous donkey ride down the canyon. And I said to myself, wow, that would be an experience. So I said, okay, guys, listen, it's your trip. I'm the Rebbe. My job is to go with you. My job is wherever you're going to place in the world, I'm going to have to somehow find Hashem for you in that spot and connect to that spot and come home with something of a tremendous lesson while making a Kiddush Hashem on the road. That's my job on the trip. While at the same time making sure you don't break anything. That's my job on the trip. So whatever you guys come up with, I'm good. So they put it to a vote. And sure enough, half the class, now when I say half, I don't mean, I mean half, literally 50% down to the guy. Half the class decided on Miami Beach, Orlando, Florida. The other half went for the Grand Canyon. So now we have a 50-50 split. And what am I going to do now? So they turn to me and they say to me, okay, Rabbi, it's 50-50, you're the tiebreaker. You are the final vote. And I'm saying, how did I get into this position? I said, okay, gentlemen, I'm the tiebreaker. He said, yeah. And you know how boys get into it. Half the boys start sharing Miami and the other boy half starts sharing Grand Canyon. And then each guy sends up a lawyer to represent their side why it's so much better for me to go with their idea. Till finally they're done. I said, okay, gentlemen, I'd like to cast my vote. And everyone's quiet. I said, guys, are you ready for this? This year, I'm taking you on the graduation of YMA 2017 to Miami and the Grand Canyon. Wow. And they looked at me and said, wow, Rabbi, we love you. You're going to take us to both? I said, I'm going to take you to both. Wow, you mean, you mean Rabbi Kirby is going to let us take off two weeks from Yeshiva? He's going to let us go one week to Miami, one week to Grand Canyon. I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> what about my wife? I said, gentlemen, I'm taking you to both. They were ecstatic. They were high-fiving each other. This was a wow. This was a great moment. I said, Rabbi, how are you going to do it? So I'm going to tell you how I'm going to do it. Gentlemen, this year, we're going to Israel. 
And they looked at me and said, huh? <laughs> but that wasn't on the ballot. That wasn't one of the options. Where did you get that from? I said, guys, you'll see. This time you're going to have to trust your Rebbe. You want Miami? You want the Grand Canyon? I'm going to give you that and so much more. And sure enough, they bought into the idea. And Baruch Hashem, their parents supported the idea. And we went to Israel with ten guys. And out of those ten, only two left this country with an idea of a feeling or thought that maybe next year they might learn in Eretz Yisrael. And I want to tell you that we came back home with all ten boys enrolled and signed up to learn next year in Israel in Eretz Yisrael. When we got to Eretz Yisrael, I took them on one of those days of touring. I took them out to Are Yehuda. I took them out jeeping out in the great mountains in Are Yehuda, not too far from the Dead Sea. Those of you who have been in Eretz Yisrael, you know the topography. You know that amazing mountain range that there is right next to the Dead Sea in the area of Masada. And the mountains there are enormous, gigantic. We took a jeep tour there. We got a guy, an amazing guy, a learned guy, who's an off-road professional jeeper. And he took us into this jeep, eight guys and then another jeep, and we went out through these mountains off-roading. We got to meet the Bedouins. We got to see the life of what once was in the desert. And then he took us up to the top of one of the highest mountains in the region. Very famous mountain. The name of the mountain is Azazel. Now this was a mountain that had tremendous history for the Jewish people. This was a mountain that when standing on the top of the mountain, you'd be able to see directly straight, a straight line to Jerusalem, to Harabayit, to the Bet HaMikdash. That's how tall this mountain was. And there was a good reason why that mountain needed to be in sight, in view of the Bet HaMikdash. Because on the greatest day of the year, on Yom Kippur, a messenger would be sent with a seir, with a goat. And he'd be sent out to Azazel. And he would take this goat once on top of that very high mountain and throw it off. And then the moment the goat would die, that little red string that was back in the Bet HaMikdash Kodesh Kodashim would turn from red to white. And that would be the moment of the symbol that the Jewish people sins. Am Yisrael's Averot were forgiven on the holiest day of Yom Kippur. We stood on the top of that mountain. And the tour guide told us how many people went all the way down to that gorge, that valley at the bottom. And they still found different bones and carcasses from the original goats, even the jawbones from the original Seir Lazazel that was thrown off of that mountain on Yom Kippur. And we looked down and we looked at this valley in this region and there were such magnificent canyons. And I turned to my guys and I said, Gentlemen, I'd like to introduce you to the Grand Canyon of Israel. And they were like, Wow, Rabbi, this is amazing. They were looking off of these cliffs and these mountains, breathtaking. And then, looking over to the Dead Sea, to Masada, which we went to, to Engedi, which we went to, to see Jordan right across the water. It's amazing how they live. They wake up every morning looking at the enemy in the face. It's amazing life in Eretz Yisrael. Nonetheless, the next day, I decided to keep my promise. The next day, I took him out to one of the most beautiful beaches in Eretz Yisrael, to Netanya. In this Netanya beach, Every other day, the hours change between men hours and lady hours. We went on a Wednesday that from 9.30 in the morning until 2 in the afternoon was only men hours. They had the entire beach to themselves. It was the most magnificent turquoise blue water. We went down there. It was breathtaking. We got onto the sand and I turned to the guys and I said, Gentlemen, I'd like to introduce you to the Miami Beach of Israel. And they were floored. And it was breathtaking and beautiful. But ladies, I want to tell you something. It was then that I turned to the guys and I told them, hey, you know, out there in the world, they might have a Miami Beach of their own. They might have a Grand Canyon of their own as well. But they don't have the Bet HaMikdash. They don't have a Yerushalayim. And then on the last night of the tour, 
when I took them down to the tunnels underneath the Kotel, and we walked down that very long, wonderful tunnel alongside the underneath of the Kotel, and we put our hands, as I instructed them to do, to put your hand up against the wall and let it slide as you walk, and the wall is bone dry. And then you come to the spot where the sign on the wall says you are now standing opposite the Holy of Holies. You are now standing opposite the Kodesh HaKodashim, only feet away of the holiest spot on earth, the place that the Kohen Gadol would go in only one day a year. I said, guys, you're standing right here, right at the spot of the Kodesh Kodashim. And then suddenly they realized that when they came up to that little spot, only a small area to pray in, they put their hand on the wall and the upper crest of the wall was completely damp. Now I turned to the guys and I told them, you know, this is, this is far beyond belief because there is no water basin above this. And all these little drops of water on the top of this spot, no one has any explanation for. I've heard so many different tour guides and so many different tours go through this tunnel, come up to this spot and cite the little drops coming down the top of that spot of the wall. And in different languages, in Spanish, in German, in French, I heard every language of trying desperately to give some sort of an explanation of something they couldn't explain. And I looked the boys in the eyes and I told them, do you know what the Midrash and Echa says? That every single day, Hashem drops tears on the spot of the Kodesh Kodashim, as he cries out, Banai, Efo Atem, Hechan Atem, my sons, my daughters, my children, where are you? I'm wailing for you, I'm yearning for you, I want you to come back home to me. And those tears, says that Medrash and Echa, is the tears of Hashem Himself. I said, gentlemen, put your hand up on the top of this wall. Feel and taste the tears of Boreola. Look what he wants, how much he loves you. How much is yearning for you to come back and connect to Him. Boy, when they heard that. Boy, what they felt. Oh yeah, they might have something that looks like a Grand Canyon, or maybe a beach here and there, but that this they'll never have. This they'll never have. And one of the boys, I mean, you know how it goes when we go on vacation, the way we dress. So, one of my boys, you know, sleeveless shirt, and, uh, you know, uh, shorts, and, and, you know, and his Easy's and everything else, and he says to me, Rabbi, I'm so embarrassed. I'm standing on the holiest spot on earth. I'm not dressed. I took off my jacket. I gave him my jacket. When he put on that jacket, I realized how much weight I gained over the years. I didn't realize it until I saw my jacket on a skinny 17-year-old. You know, I never, never thought. I said, oh my God. I used to be that. How did I become this? I mean, literally, he was swimming. He could have put three of those guys in one jacket. I was like, he's swimming in the jacket. So he was thinking Kodesh Kodashim, and I was thinking Weight Watchers. I, the holiest spot in the world. I was saying to myself, oh boy, what, what in the world did I get into? He put on the jacket, and it literally covered not just his arms and his back, but it went all the way down, almost past his knees. It was like literally a pair of pants. This was really Siniut at its best. He stood up against the wall, and this kid started to pray. And all the guys that were there, at that moment, they weren't looking at their phones. They weren't looking at any of that stupidity or all the distractions of the world. At that moment, they couldn't care less. At that moment, they were so focused just on where we were and what that spot meant to each and every one of us and how much they wanted to pour their heart out and tell Borei Olam how much they need and how much they're looking to grow and that's what they did for the next 40 minutes we didn't budge and it was complete silence and it wasn't the type of place that I had to push them out they were literally later than I was I thought to myself hmm look at this guy pray Maybe it's the jacket. <laughs> but they were really hit. And they came out of that spot. And then after that, we went up to the Kotel. By the way, ladies, if you go to Eretz Israel, they have a new thing now. You might have tried it. 
To us, this was also an amazing thing for the last night of our trip. The last night, I kept the real heavy stuff to make sure they leave with the right taste of Israel. They have now this VR, this virtual reality tour that takes you through the history of the Jewish people, the destruction of the temples, and the actual guided tour of the Bet HaMikdash when it once stood. Now, could you imagine that? Could you imagine coming into this little room that's right off the side of the wall of the Kotel, and you walk in and there's a bunch of seats that swivel. They go, turn in a 360 degree circle. And then aside of the seat, there's headphones and there's these goggles that you put on. You put on the goggles and you enter a new world. Literally, it's so real that you can reach out and it's as if you're touching the Kohen Gadol. And you watch as they take you through a walking tour of the Bet HaMikdash. And they show you the Azara, and then they show you the Menorah, and they show you the Mizbeach, and they show... It's just breathtaking. They show you the Levi'im standing on the steps, playing the music in the Bet HaMikdash. They show you and watch as the Kohen Gadol is doing the Avodah. And this is breathtaking. And when it becomes real in front of your eyes, and you could turn on your chair, and no matter what direction you look, the movie continues as real as it could be. This was something that to me was, it really moved us. It gave us a real taste of the history. So like I told these guys the last night we were there, you know, they may have many things that are similar to Eretz Yisrael, but this they'll never have. This is exclusive to Klal Yisrael. This is ours. This is exclusive to Eretz Yisrael. The Bet HaMikdash, the Kohen Gadol, and the unbelievable field. You know, ladies, we took them through an old city tour. You see, I have a minhag. Every time I go to Eretz Yisrael, because I have such a love for the place, I look to find every trip I go something new that I've never done yet before. And to me, this is very important. This behavior is something that I, over the years, it, it kind of gave me a new, enlightened look on Eretz Yisrael and everything it has to offer. Let me explain to you what I mean. As an example, this past summer, when I went for my son's bar mitzvah, so I wanted to find something new to take myself and the family and the bar mitzvah boy and all the guests to a place that we've never been to before. We ended up finding a place called Shiloh. And I have to encourage you, if you go to Eretz Yisrael, go to Shiloh. If you want the details, you talk to me after. But this is something special. This is the city, the ancient city of Shiloh, the spot that the Mishkan stood in Israel for 400 and almost 30 years. And they know the exact spot. Could you imagine entering the old city of Shiloh, going through the different artifacts that they have there, and then walking down to one portion of the mountain, the spot where the Mishkan itself once stood. And there they have a movie that overlooks the spot and tells the whole story about Chana, about Eli HaKohen, about the place that Shemuel Hanavi was blessed to be born, right there. Today's is your side. Today's is your side. Wow, unbelievable. Incredible. Incredible. Shemuel Hanavi, wow. Fantastic. Wow. So you see, there's no coincidences in this world. Yeah. Amazing, amazing. Nonetheless, you're standing on the spot. We all know, the Gemara tells us, that we learn out all the laws and the secrets of prayer of Amidah. Who do we learn it from? We learn it from Chana. The way Chana prayed and asked Hashem to answer her, to finally have a child. Those are the laws that we've learned of the Amidah of how to pray. So could you imagine going to this spot? Could you imagine standing on the earth in the spot that Tefillah was born? In Shiloh. The spot of the Mishkan. On the earth that the Aron HaKodesh stood for almost 430 some odd years. This is something that's beyond belief. And that to us was our highlight of new in that trip of the Bar Mitzvah. This time we wanted something new as well. At first I thought that that which would be new was going to be 
the highlight of the Old City Tour. There is a man by the name of Mati Dan that was introduced to me by a very close friend, Jack Straw from the Shul. Mati Dan is somebody who has such a love for the Old City that he walks through the Arab quarters fearlessly, walking up and knocking on doors, asking the Arabs to sell him his, their homes. He has people behind him all over the world funding him with millions of dollars, paying the Arabs millions of dollars for their homes to leave, to buy back the old city of Jerusalem, where the Jewish quarter once upon a time was maybe a certain line of the city. Now, thanks to these fearless guys like Matidan, the line has extended now blocks and blocks further because they've been buying up the houses as they push forward. Now, he took my guys through the old city into the deep, deep quarters of the Arabs. We had an army escort with us with many soldiers around us at all times. But he wanted us to see how they're living with an amazing sacrifice and Mesirut Nefesh. And we found Jewish families living amongst the Arabs in the Arab quarter. And their kids, we were watching their kids going and coming from Yeshiva with bodyguards every single day. Can you imagine living that way? But they were living that way in order to stand up for what they believe in. And they really believe that Baruch Atah Hashem, Bone Yerushalayim, they meant it. They really feel that it's up to them to stand up and do something to build Jerusalem, to take back the old city and the Admat Kodesh on Harabayim. And these people are living in an amazing sacrifice, amazing ways. So he brought us up to one house that they bought recently, and he took us up to the rooftop. And when I got up to the rooftop, I couldn't believe my eyes. I became emotional. And in front of my students, it's embarrassing. But he took us on a rooftop that was maybe an arm or two length away from the mosque, from Harabayit, the spot of the Beit HaMikdash. And we were literally as if we could have reached over and touched the floor of the Beit HaMikdash. I was blown away. We're looking at it. We're looking at the tiles. The spot that the Kohen Gadol actually walked on. The spot that Kohanim actually walked on. And we're looking at it, and the guys themselves, they didn't hop at first what was going on, but they saw me tearing up, and they turned to me and said, Rabbi, what are we missing? <laughs> so I had to pull my composure together and tell them, what do you mean, what are we missing? You're looking at the Beta Mikdash. You're looking at the floor of the Beta Mikdash. This is the spot. I mean, this is everything. And it hit everybody. And we began to pray. And then he took us down to a different spot. A spot called the Kotel Hakatan. A small little portion of the Kotel that no one really goes to because it's way too deep into the Arab quarters. It's right next to the entrance to the mosque. So nobody goes there. It's too dangerous. We had a tremendous army, you know, uh, brigade with us. And, you know, the escort was... was but nonetheless, we prayed Mincha by this little Kotel Hakatan. And you have to see how the Arabs built their houses on the wall itself to try to cover up the wall that no one should see that there was even a wall there at all. These were moments that hit them very strongly. And these are moments that need to hit us to remind us that we should never forget Eretz Yisrael. And yes, we have a tremendous Hakarat HaTov to the United States. It's a land of Chesed. And we're able to leave, live here with a certain degree of freedom. But remember what home is. Remember what home is really about. And therefore, ladies, Cancun is done. Those places are finished. The next time we get up and we bring a family to a beautiful place, let's go to Eretz Yisrael. I guarantee you, Whatever you think in the eye of fantasy, you're going to enjoy in all of these, so to speak, places of vacation. I guarantee you Eretz Yisrael has so much more to offer. Not just for the relaxing and, and, and resting, but also for the neshama. Not just a physical way, but, but a spiritual vacation. You come back pumped, 
feeling that you got this recharge. And then you ask yourself, how come I didn't do that earlier? So I thought that that was going to be the big highlight of the trip. I thought that that was going to be that new thing that we've done that we've never done before. The Arab quarter of the old city. But then Hashem had a different plan. The big day of Lagba Omer came. And I decided that the night of Lagba Omer, Motzei Shabbat, Saturday night, would be way too difficult to travel from Yerushalayim to Meron. I heard already on the radio there was over six hours of traffic from Jerusalem to Meron. You have to understand, there was over a million people that were making their way through this kever. A million people. Now the whole country is three million people. So you have to understand, when you try to get one-third of the entire population of the country through this tiny little two-by-two town into this tiny little two-by-two room, good luck. And because of that, the police shut down all the surrounding highways and roads. You couldn't get near Meron for nothing. They would stop you, they would make you turn around, and they would send you to the nearest parking lot where they'd have buses shuttling people into the town. So for that 24 hours, from Saturday night until late Sunday night, the only transportation or vehicle that entered in or out of the city of Meron were buses shuttling people in, shuttling people out. That's it. You didn't see a car anywhere. So when I heard that, I said, okay, we're not going to go Saturday Saturday night, we went to a beautiful Svaradi Yeshiva in Jerusalem. You know that Jerusalem on Lagba Omer is completely covered with bonfires everywhere you go. And when I say bonfires, I used to live in Jerusalem many years ago. And those days, the bonfires were only about three or four feet high. Apparently, over the last 17 years, the Israeli kids got their act together. And now these bonfires are about 20 to 30 feet. I'm just talking about the wood. 20 to 30 feet tall. And when they light them up, it goes literally ad la shamayim. You have to see this. And the whole city, the entire city, is bonfires everywhere. The amazing fires of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai and Lagba Omer. So we went to a Sfaradi Yeshiva that night that had this 20, 30 foot bonfire with this little Saddam Hussein hanging at the top of it. And they burnt it up and we danced with them. And I want to tell you, it was so beautiful to see our guys interacting with the Sfaradi Israeli boys, also in high school. And it was so interesting to watch the two types of guys reacting and dancing together. Matter of fact, you know, at first, these Sfaradi boys, they were dancing the regular yeshiva dance, foot in, foot out, foot in, foot out, going around in a circle. And then suddenly, our guys got in there and for some reason, everyone started dancing disco. I don't know how that happened exactly. I started screaming, hey, wait one second. You guys aren't supposed to be influencing them. They're supposed to be influencing you. But whatever, it took the toll that it took. But everyone had a tremendous time. And I told the guys, tomorrow's the big day. Tomorrow's like Baomer. We're going to go up north. And this is where Hashem had a plan that blew our minds. The next morning, I picked them up from the hotel at 7 a.m. We drove up to Tiberias, to Tiberia. We prayed 9 o'clock at the Kever of Remer Balhanes. Right after Remer Balhanes, I walked them out and I showed them the most magnificent views as they looked at the Kineret, as they looked at the beautiful city and the mountaintops of Tiberia. It's, it's breathtaking. Tiberia is one of my favorite towns. And then from there, I took them down and we went out to the Rambam. And after the Rambam's Kever, we started going up to Tzfat. I said to myself, I want to take them to Tzfat. Let me dump them in the Arizal's mikvah and maybe they'll do Teshuvah. And then right after that, maybe I could take them to Amuka and I'll get them married and get rid of them for once and for all. And then after that, I'll take them to Meron. They'll get a blessing for Bishamon Bar Yochai on the big day of Lag Baomer. And boy, is this a grand slam trip. And that would be great. And that was the plan. At least that's what my plan was. Hashem had a different plan. As we were going up the road, going towards Tzfat, in order to make that left turn, going up the mountain to Tzfat, suddenly I heard the driver say, uh-oh. Now, when your Israeli driver says, they don't say uh-oh for nothing. 
These guys are these guys are fearless. They're not they're not phased by anything. If this guy's saying, uh oh, we're in trouble. So I came up to the guy and I said, Makara, Mayesh, what's going on? He says to me, Ooh, look, he tells me. I look out and I see that there's about three miles worth of standstill cars, just standstill in the left lane, waiting to make the same turn that we were going to try to make, the left turn up the mountain to the spot. And I said to myself, oh boy, when these guys see the length of the wait of time, they're going to say, Rabbi, we're done. Hadjabah, we're done. Turn around, let's get back. Go back to Jerusalem. We couldn't lose this opportunity. People come from all over the world to be in Lag Baomer, in Meron, in these places, just for Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. So I turned to the driver and I said to him, what are we going to do? He says to me, like a true Israeli, Alti duck. Don't worry. He knows another way in. I said, Oh, great. I remind him of the tip we're going to give him at the end of the day. And he jumped on the right lane and he passed all the cars and he went past Tzvat. Now, personally, every time I went to Israel, I thought Israel ended by Tzvat because I never went past Tzvat. To me, that was the, the north. Svat, Amuka, Meron, all these Plataveria. We go past Svat, and he tells me there's a small little town. The name of this town, and supposedly it's a legendary town, the name of the town is Chatzor. I never heard of this town before. And he turns to me and says, Ma? Ata rabbi? He tells me, You're a rabbi? You never heard of Chatzor? I said, No. He says to me, You don't know who's buried in Chatzor? I said, No, who's buried in Chatzor? He tells, oh, he tells me, what's with the Rabbanim in America, he tells me, we're going to have to teach you guys. I said, okay, Allah, after the digs, what's in Chatzor? He says to me, Chatzor is buried, the legendary Choni HaMa'agel. Choni, the one that made the circles. I was amazed. We drove into Chatzor, and the entire town is built in circles. The Yishuv of Chatzor, if you go onto Google Earth, you'll be able to find this. The Yishuv, the actual neighborhood, and the buildings are built in an actual circle. And in the middle of the circle, the dot, in the middle of that target of circle, is the Kever Choni HaMagel himself. We got out by Choni, because the driver told us, you know the story of Choni? I said, yes. I turned to the guys, and I told him the amazing Gemara, Mesechet Tanita Chavgimel. The Gemara tells us that there was a drought for three years, and the people were giving up hope on life. When we talk about a drought in an era that everything was agriculture, with no rain, there's no crop, there's nothing. And people came to Choni, the Gadol, and said, Choni, pray for us. And Choni said, I'll pray for you. He started to pray and nothing came down, and no rain fell. Well, that's a pretty cool song. It turns out that although it did not rain, Choni took the very drastic and a very serious thing. And what did he do? He drew a circle in the ground, and he stepped in the middle of the circle, and he said, Hashem! I swear in your great name that I am not going to leave this circle until it starts to rain. And the guy said, okay, Rabbi, what happened? I said, guys, you want to hear what happened? It started to drizzle a very light mist. And then the students came and said, Honey, Rebbe, this is not going to save us. A little light mist is not going to do anything for us. Choni said to Hashem, Hashem, Lo palalti. Not for this did I pray. I didn't ask for this. And just then it started to come down a torrential downpour. It was literally raining buckets. The Gibbana said that each drop could fill up a bucket. At that moment they saw the world was going to be destroyed. So they said, Rebbe, shut off the faucet. Tell him to stop. Zuchoni screams, Hashem, palati. This is not what I prayed for. And just then, the rains finally came down in the way of blessing. 
and the rains came down, and they had enough rain to fill up the reservoirs, to fill up the wells, to fill up everything, the fields, to irrigate the canals. Everything at that point was all a blessing. I said, guys, this is the story of Honey. This is the spot that when people were praying and praying and praying and praying for certain things, this was a spot that the tefillot that generally weren't answered on this place was answered. This is the legend of Choni. When they heard that, they got off the van, we all went inside the kever, and everyone started to pray. When we finished praying over there, we're walking out, and there's an old man sitting there. And this guy looks up at me, and he had no teeth. And he says to me, in a broken Arabic Hebrew, he says to me, are these your guys? So I said to him, yeah, what did they break? <laughs> you know, over 10 days, when you get used to asking, uh, what did they break? I said, is everything okay? He says, yeah, yeah. He tells me, you don't know what type of emunah they have. You don't know what type of bitachon they have. These boys are wonderful boys. One day, each one of them is going to grow up to be something special. Said, wow, I was, I was really floored by this one. I was used to being on the defensive when they talked to me about my boys. This was a first. He turns to me and he says to me, Come here. The guy's collecting tzedakah, and in his other hand he's holding a bag of tea lights. It seems that the way this guy made a few dollars was he was selling the tea lights to people that go into the kever and light the light for the tzaddik, for choni. He says to me, I want to tell you something. You guys are very lucky that you're here today. He says to me, do you know Choni? I said, uh, I just told all the boys, the whole Gemara, the story about Choni. He said, you tell them about the circle? I said, I told them about the circle. He says, good. He says, I want to tell you, this is the place, just like in the story of Choni, the place that the tefillot are answered that were normally not answered till now. I want you to take these tea lights, he tells me. And take your boys inside because there's an inner cave. And inside that inner cave is really where Choni is buried. I said, what do you mean really? He says, on the outside, he says, it could be that's his feet, he tells me. But he says, the inside cave, that's really where the tzaddik is buried. And that cave is always locked. He says, a few days a year, they open it. And Lagba Omer, it's opened. He says, it's opened. Take your guys, go in there and take these lights. And tell you guys, every guy who takes upon himself something to improve for 40 days, and you say out with your words, in zechut of Choni HaMagel, he says on the 40th day, it comes true. And he says, he starts telling me this guy from France, and this guy from America, this woman that couldn't have kids, and, this, and he's telling me these stories of people that came from all over the world, that went into that cave, lit a tea light, and took upon themselves for 40 days something to get better. I said to my guys, guys, we're going back into the bat cave right now. So I got Rabbi Cave? I said, yeah, you saw the, you mean where the fence is? I said, yeah. The guy had a key. The thing was open. We went into the back. Now, ladies, I don't know if you've ever really seen what a cave looks like in Israel. This is a real cave. I'm talking about the cave that when you walk in, you got to kind of bend down a little bit, and it surrounds you completely in darkness. And there's always that drip of water, drip, drip, you know, that's part of the cave. And, and, and you feel a real cave. But there you had chiseled out what it looked like a kever. And supposedly, according to this rabbi, that was really funny. And on the wall, they had something called kuchim. Kuchim was in the olden years, they used to bury people inside the walls of mountains. So there was actually a hole on each spot where there was a different grave of Choni's children and grandchildren that were buried in the same cave as him inside the wall itself. We started to pray. And just then we all made a circle together. And we stood together arm in arm in a huddle. And we took upon ourselves a tremendous feeling of achdut and shalom. Because ladies, I want to ask you a question. As I asked the boys, when Choni drew the circle, and stood in the middle and said, Hashem, I'm not leaving the circle until it rains. What's with the circle? What's the secret of the circle? Why couldn't he keep praying without the circle? What exactly did the circle symbolize to be able to 
incite heaven in a way to bring down the rains. What I'm asking you is, what's the secret of the circle? And I told the guys, the secret of the circle is that the circle is a symbol of achdut and shalom. And Choni knew that the rains were being held back because there wasn't achdut and shalom in Israel. And when there's no shalom, there's no blessing. And when there's no blessing, there's no shalom. It kind of goes hand in hand. And so many times people want to know why their parnasah isn't as good as it could be. And they have to look back at the shalom. The shalom in the home. The shalom in the business. The shalom between family members. Shalom between partners. The shalom between neighbors. And Choni drew that circle to demonstrate to heaven, we're going to now bring back the shalom, the circle, the achdut of Klal Yisrael. And I'll prove this to you. David HaMelech wrote Ashrei Yoshrei Betecha. And he used for the Ashrei all the letters of the alphabet of the Aleph Bet. But there's one letter he did not use. Which letter? The Nun. Why didn't he use Nun? The Gibaram Berachot says, because Nun signifies Nefilah, Nofel, Nefilah, to fall. David didn't want to use the letter Nun because God forbid for the Jewish people ever to fall into anything bad. Because of that, he skipped the Nefilah, he skipped the Nun, and he went straight to the Samach. Why did he go straight to the Samach? Because the Samach is Somech Hashem Lechol Hanoflin. Samach is the letter of Yeshua. It's when Hashem comes and saves us in our difficulties. He's Somech in our Nefilah. He picks us back up after we fell in our problems. Samach is the letter that symbolizes Yeshuot. And that's what the Akta Rebbe says. The Gemara says, Lo yamim tovim There will not be greater days to Israel than the 15th day of the month of Av. Says the Akta Rebbe, no, no, that's not the Pshat. Lo yamim tovim. You want to know the best days of Israel? Kitu, the 15th, Be'av? No. Be'alef bet. What is the 15th letter of the Aleph bet? The Samach. The Samach. Says the Apta Rebbe, Lo yehei yamim tovim. The best days of the Jewish people are the 15th letter of the alphabet. The letter Samach. The letter that signifies the Achdut and the Shalom of the Jewish people. And when we have Achdut and Shalom, we have everything. Like we're told, Eliyahu Navi, when he finally comes to announce Mashiach, you know what he's going to do? Eliyahu is going to come before the great day, the day that Mashiach comes. And what's his job? He's going to bring back the hearts of the fathers to the sons and the sons to the hearts. Which, by the way, in a generation that we live in today, you don't understand what type of a miracle that is. And they'll be able to bring back not just fathers and sons, family members, sister-in-laws, daughter-in-laws, mother-in-laws and daughter-in-laws. Wow, that's a miracle. And, and many together. He's going to bring back a tremendous shalom in the Jewish people. And what's the next day after he brings the shalom? That's the day that Mashiach comes. What happens the day that Mashiach comes? You know what the Midrash says? God's going to make a circle, a big circle of the tzaddikim, and Hashem is going to sit in the middle of the circle. There it is. There's the circle again. There's the samach. There's the signifying symbol of the shalom and the achdut of the Jewish people. And that's what's going to bring a final geulah. Choni knew this secret. Some say that Choni was the Gilgul of Eliyahu Navi, and he knew what his future job is going to be. He knew that one day as Eliyahu, he's going to have to bring the circle of Tzadikim. So now, when he saw that there was no rain, and he understood that people weren't getting along, do you know what he did? He already drew the circle. And he stood in the middle, and he said, Hashem, I'm starting now to work on the circle, to bring the Shalom back to people, to bring the Achdut back to people. And the minute we restore the Shalom, is the minute the rain comes down. So we stood inside that, that cave, and we stood in a circle, in a huddle. And right after that, each guy took for 40 days on himself something new. And we walked out. And I wanted to, I wanted to pay the guy for the tealites. 
I wanted to thank him because this really hit the guys harder than I expected. And when I came outside, he was gone. He was gone. I'm thinking to myself, you know, I still have 20 tea lights left. <laughs> you know, I wanted to give him back the remainder or something. I wanted to pay him. I had guys look this side, that. I walked up to the guy that sells the little trinkets. And I said to him, you know, we had the key. Here's the key. When you see the old man, he says to me, what old man? I said, the guy that was sitting there the whole morning. He said, what are you talking about? He said, so it is what it is. However you want to pull it. The guys walked away a little spinning. We got back into the van. We went up to the Amuka forest. We went down to Amuka, hoping that they get married and I can get rid of them. And then after that, we went all the way back up to Tzvat through the back door, dumped them in the Arizal's mikveh, so finally they'll get a little Teshuvah. And then outside of that, we went down to Maran Shulchan Aruch. We went down to the Arizal, the Baal Chadodi, which is buried right over there. And after that, we finally made our way to Meron. And we went into literally a swarm of a million people. And I told the guys, don't try to go near the kever. It's sakanat nefashot. I, I really know, seriously, I, I remember from the years when I was a bachor. I said, don't try, sakanat nefashot. But obviously, they tried to muscle their way in, and so did I. And I came to a point where I was almost, almost by the room of the kever. And my feet went right off the ground. There were so many people squashed into one spot. I felt like I was in a cartoon. My feet were running, but there was no ground underneath me. And now it's all up to the crowd. Where they decide to go, where the wave decides to go, is where you decide to go. So I was squashed up in the air, and I was stuck in this crowd of huge guys, and I screamed, Yamina! And I was hoping the crowd would shift right and get a little closer to the door. Right when we got slightly closer to the door, my feet dropped back on the floor. I pushed my way in. There was no oxygen in the room. Zero. So many people in a tiny room. It was only carbon monoxide. There was no oxygen. I stuck my head out of the room, pulled my head back in the room, prayed two words, pulled my head. I felt like I was swimming. Pulled my head out of the room, pulled my head. Another two words. I was in the room for maybe 30 seconds. You, it's not possible to stay there longer. They literally physically throw you out. They push you out. Because I cannot Some of my guys got in, some didn't. But the experience that they saw there will last a lifetime. And ladies, I just want to end and tell you, on the way back, something really hit us. We stopped by a bakery because we were starving. And this was the bakery in Tferia that's about 200 feet away from the Rambam's Kever. And we went into the bakery. And the guy there was so happy to see us. It doesn't look like he sold much that day. Everybody was in Meron. Nobody was in Tveria. It was a ghost town. We came and we bought out the whole place. One of my guys asked the guy, can I use your bathroom? He says, no, I don't let anyone use my bathroom. I don't know, in Israel they have this thing with the bathroom. You use too much paper. I don't know what it is. They tell you, you've got to go up two blocks to the hotel. The guy says, two blocks? I'm not going to make it. He says, two blocks to the hotel. So one of my guys had to run up two blocks to the hotel. Another guy comes in, can I use your bathroom? No, I sent your friend. Ask him where the hotel is. <laughs> All right. About ten minutes later, one of my guys comes and says to the guy, listen, we ended up buying out half your store. We gave you probably your whole business for the week. Come on. I need to go to the bathroom. Can't you let me go to the bathroom? We, 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 we gave you business. So the guy says, well, if you put it that way, he tells him. You know, we, our guys know how to talk, right? <laughs> he says, all right, you put it that way, I'll let you use the bathroom. And he lets this kid use the bathroom. The kid comes out and he tells me, he let me use the bathroom! I said, great, fantastic. So I had to go. Forgive me for saying it, I'm so embarrassed. But it's after a whole day of chasing ten guys. I came into the bakery and I said to the guy, listen, uh, I have to go to the bathroom. Please, give me the key, let me go. The guy says to me, no, go to the Malone, go to the hotel. I said, Habibi, listen, I'm the Madrich, I'm the head of the, the thing here, and I brought them here. Come on, we were here in your store the whole time. Let me use the bathroom. Do a chesed. Forget about the business, forget about the, do a chesed to a Jew. You see, somebody going to make me walk two blocks to the bathroom. Come on, I'm going to leave these guys alone until I come back. You, you know it's not smart. He says, okay, you're right. He says, here, 
I'll do you the chesed, he tells me. He hands me the key. I go to the back. I finish. I come back in. The guy's gone. I'm thinking to myself, you know, everyone's disappearing on me today. It's a ridiculous day. <laughs> I don't want to, I'm walking around again with the key. Yeah, again with the key. And I'm trying to give the guy his key back. And my guys are saying like, Rabbi, yalla, let's go. We want to go already. I said, I'd love to go. I got to give the guys. You saw how iffy he was, so it was touchy about his bathroom. Let me give him the key back. We couldn't find the guy. Couldn't find him anywhere. We look in the front of the store, back of the store. Now, let me tell you something. In Israel, it's very common that sometimes, out of whim, they just decide to pick up and leave their store. They go to a different store. They don't even put up a sign like, be back in five minutes. They don't even lock their front door. I don't know what these people are thinking, but that's just, I've seen it all over. I've seen them do this all the time. So I said to him, maybe, you know, he, maybe he went to the Malone. You know what I mean? <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe he went to the hotel. I don't know. So I had the guys looking for him. We're looking all over for the guy. I know where the guy is. So I go to the back of the store one more time to look, and I see one of the doors is shaking back and forth, but like a really vibrating shaking back and forth. So I run up to the door, and I open the door, and I pull it open. And that second, the guy from the owner of the bakery jumps out. His face is on fire. His hair is on fire. His eyelashes and eyebrows are singed completely. I'm looking at the guy screams, Hatsilu, help me! I'm looking at him, what happened? I look inside. This was the pita oven. It's a walk-in oven with long racks that they make the pita on. This guy went in, and somehow or other the door behind him got jammed, and he couldn't get out. And he told me, he says, if I would have been in there for another two minutes, it would have been well done. It would have been finished. Mamash finished. And I said to the guy, you see, you did a chesed. You gave me the key. If you would have sent me up to the hotel, I would never have had to come back looking for you. I would never have had to come back looking to give you back the key. Because you did a chesed, now I had to come back to return it. Someone had to look for you. And lucky for you, we saw the door shaking. It's able to pull open the door. This guy was able to come back. I said, you would have been finished. Look what a chesed is. Ladies, when he came running out, I looked, he was holding a pita. <laughs> and I said, look, I said, guys, this is what it is. This is the samach, this is the circle, this is Kalisa, this is the shalom, this is the achdut, this is what we're about, this is Eretz Yisrael. Let's not make a mistake. The next time we get an opportunity, let's go home. Enjoyed this story? Come again. Bring a friend. Stories to inspire.org.